We'll be looking at various scriptures again tonight like normal. So I won't read a passage yet. I'll read quite a bit here at the beginning. But before we start, let's open with a word of prayer. As we have studied these gifts, I hope you have at least been able to understand the value of each and every gift in the body and its service to the body. And so as we pray now and, and throughout the week, uh, pray for those that you don't see here. Uh, mention them. Um, we, we want the body to function effectively and uh, to glorify God. And that is hard to do when parts of the body are missing. Again, providence keeps people away for various things. But, uh, but we want as much as possible for the body to be able to gather together in service. And so whether that's praying away sickness, ailments, um, various things that just come in into our lives. Um, pray that the body would continue in strength and be able to, to function. Um, again, I think a, a good goal in our prayer is not just make them feel better, help them, fix this, fix that, but Lord, we seek to see your name glorified on the earth through the ministry of the church. Therefore, we desire to have, have the church together as much as possible. Um, so let's pray and then we'll begin. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to come and, and open up your word again as a body. And I pray that you would uh, be kind to us and patient with us as we study these things. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make these things real and alive in our minds as we, as we delve into some very practical gifts. Lord, I pray that as we hear your word explained and taught as uh, commentators and other men are quoted, Lord, I pray that our minds would just, would just light up and be taken up with exactly what your Holy Spirit means by these words and phrases. I pray that those gifted with the, the gifts that we've already talked about and the ones we will look at tonight, Lord, I pray that they will uh, be excited um, and illumined. They would be glad to have been gifted in these ways and they will be ready and willing to fan their gifts into flame and to serve in your body. Lord, we do pray for those who are not here, those who are not feeling well, those who are sick, those who are uh, hindered. Uh, otherwise, providentially, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them, uh, nourish their souls while they are apart of, from the body, and, uh, and bring us all back together in the future safely so we can magnify the name of Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Before I begin by reading these passages of Scripture, I want to start with some potential Q&A. Does anyone have any questions with regard to the purpose of the gifts all the way from the very beginning until now, the purpose of the gifts, the, the source of the gifts in the Godhead, uh, the reason that we have the gifts in serving and working within the body? Are there any questions that I can clear up before we move into what, what might be um, the last couple of weeks of this study. There might be maybe one or two weeks left in this. Any questions at all? Anything that anyone is confused about? The use of the gifts? Um, 
some of you may have saw, I put the entire outline on the YouVersion app um, so that you could have that to look at in case it hasn't been clear this far. Um, whatever has not been preached yet and won't be preached tonight is, is like potential for me. I, I make outlines and then one point of an outline could become three points. It could, three points could become one. But at least you'll have an idea of where I plan on going um, next week and possibly the week after that. But, so everybody's clear on why the gifts exist, where they come from, why we use them, and all of that sort of thing. That, that sort of makes sense. Hopefully we spend enough time there that, that that is there. And then when we look at the gifts, it's just obvious and you just use them. Um, and I'll, I'll, we'll have some more time for Q&A later. I want to read these three passages of Scripture again that we read last week that contain the three main lists of the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us in Scripture. The first one, Romans 12, 6 through 8, beginning in verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So there's that list Paul writes to the church in Rome. I think it's interesting that in that list he doesn't include what we would consider the apostolic sign gifts at all. No reference. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 11, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You can compare that to Romans 12, 6, having gifts that differ according to grace given to us. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. And then at the end of that same chapter, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. So someone tell me, what are the two categories of spiritual gift? Word gifts, deed gifts. We could say doctrine and action, if you want to, if you want to put it that way. Or doctrine and love, word and deed. All of this flowing out of the ministry of Christ who ministered the, God, ministered the Word of God and ministered in miraculous deeds of mercy and love. And we see this, 
These categories summarized in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, which most would include in one of the primary passages that deal with spiritual gifts in the New Testament. As each one, or as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. The same thing he said in 1 Corinthians 12, the spirit for the common good. Let us use them, Romans 12, 6. We've been given these gifts to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we have our word gifts, our speaking gifts. That is, the gift is primarily in the speaking of the word. In some form or fashion, the, the understanding and the ability to get the word of God from the written page into the mind and the heart of another person. And then we have the gifts of service or love or deed gifts, which are not primarily in taking the Word of God from the written page and getting them into the heart and the mind of another person, although they will have some of that flavoring in there. They will be governed by the Word of God and, and undergirded by the Word of God, but the gift is not primarily in uh, how the Scriptures are handled. And again, we see there in 1 Peter the goal of all of this, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Or we could put it the way Paul puts it in Ephesians 3, 6. The goal is that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. What God is doing on the earth right now, He's doing through the local church. And as He does that, His manifold wisdom is displayed here rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That is, that is spirits. That is, that is godly spirits. That is ungodly spirits, demons, powers. They are watching what we do in the local church. Demonic spirits and godly angels are watching what we do. And as we do it, the manifold wisdom of God is shown to them. Remember, the angels are... are, are astonished at what's happening here with us, these creatures of dirt who have been made to worship God. They want to see. They, they want to watch what's happening. They rejoice when one of us is converted. And so what we're doing is not just so people say, my what a church, my what events, my what ministries, my what um, success. It's not just so that other men see what we do. It, it, is, a, it is a spiritual display of the wisdom of God in the church. So then we move to the second category of gifts, those of deed, deed gifts or love gifts. I'll list them and then we'll just go straight into walking straight through them. The first is mercy. The second, exhortation. The third, giving. The fourth, administration or leadership. The fifth, I think I have, is faith. And then ministry or helps service is the last one. So the first one, first one is mercy. The first love gift, mercy. Romans 12, 8. Paul writes, To the one who does acts of mercy, 
with cheerfulness. Having gifts according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If your gift is mercy, then when you use it, do it with cheerfulness. So the gift is mercy. The word mercy, eleao, means to show pity. To display an outward manifestation of pity. It's not just a feeling, but it is a show. To show mercy assumes that the one on whom mercy is shown has a need of some sort. And the one who is showing the mercy has the resources to help the one, to show the mercy. So it's not just a feeling. It's not just, well, I feel bad for them or, or you know, I'm you know, really, I, I really bothered by their situation. But it is the ability to display pity. It's to feel sympathy or misery for another person or more specifically to feel the, the misery of another person. It is sympathy manifested in actions. Now, just that definition, some of you could say, it's not my gift. You already know this is not your gift. Um, I can say, this is not my gift. No, not even close. I have to work and strive to even outwardly appear merciful, let alone then begin to act. Because I know I don't have this gift. This is a struggle for me. So to explain the gift then, and we're going to use the same form we used last week. I'll give the definition, then I'll explain it, then I'll illustrate it, and then I'll show the pitfalls. So to explain it, John MacArthur, to, to lead us off here, says this is, quote, actively demonstrating sympathy and having the resources to comfort and strengthen. It is sensitivity to suffering and sorrow. See, this is how I know I don't have the gift because I don't have that sensitivity, that, that spidey sense, if, if you will, that you just know someone's hurting, know someone has a need. I don't have that. Someone has to tell me if they're hurting or they have a need, and even then, usually, I want to say, so what? That's because I struggle with this, this gift of mercy. Now, like all of the gifts... All Christians are expected to show mercy, to be merciful in some way, in some form. But those gifted with the gift of mercy will have, the only way I can think to describe it would be a Holy Spirit um, state of mind and heart that displays an irrational pity upon those in need. In other words, it don't make sense how, how much pity you show. There's no reason you should feel the way you feel about the way they are. The Holy Spirit gets a person with the mind of Christ to an extent that they feel the, the tenderness of Christ Himself toward the poor, toward the needy, toward the helpless, toward the defenseless. Now we read of this in Matthew 9.36, speaking of our Lord, it says, when He saw the crowds, He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Christ looked at them and He understood and felt the reality of their situation. It wasn't all poor people or all oh, you've got bad doctrine or all oh, you've been taught wrong. No, it's they're like sheep, helpless, pitiful, defenseless sheep with no shepherd, no one to guide them. He had compassion for them. He knew 
that they were, he knew what they were without and what they needed. He knew that they were helpless and they needed someone to come along and aid them. This is the gift of mercy. It is being spiritually endowed with the mind of Christ. Or we could say the, the heart, the affections of Christ towards those in need. And I'm going to add to that, it is the ability or the desire to do something, the ability to act, the wherewithal to act upon what you feel. There are a lot of people who might feel something, but that it is only the gifted who will be pushed to action. They say, I can't, I can't not do something. I have to help here. I have to do something here. We might say those with this gift are impressed by the Spirit with the hurt of others. They feel the hurt of others. And to illustrate what this gift looks like, this would be those in the church who are especially gifted to care for the sick, the impotent, the imprisoned, the helpless, the needy in any area. Usually it is sympathy to the point of action, but without empathy. You know, empathy is I've been there, so I know how you feel. Sympathy is, well, I've not been there, but I, I can sort of relate to how you feel. Those with this gift don't have to have empathy. They don't have to have been there. They just, they, they, it's like they spiritually are there anyway because you're there. That they put themselves there with you. A great example of this, in Romans 9, verses 2 and 3, where the Apostle Paul says, and we almost have a hard time believing these words. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Great sorrow, unceasing anguish, I wish I were accursed. He's saying he has so identified with the plight of his unregenerate, unbelieving kinsman that he says, I wish that I could die and go to hell so that they would be converted. I would trade my salvation for theirs. Now, now that's intense. That's a strong sorrow and anguish. And you'll remember Moses did the same for his people. Lord, if you won't go with us, if you won't take them, blot my name out of your book. That's, that's mercy. That is putting yourself in the place of the needs of others. In Hebrews 2.17, we read this of our Lord. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of of the people. Christ was made like us in every respect so that he could be placed inside of our condition so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. He entered into our condition. He took upon himself our infirmities. That is mercy. Now, we can't do that for others, but we can have that spiritual state of mind and compassion and compelling 
to enter into the sufferings of others and relieve them. We, we, if we could, we would get in their place, but we can't, and so we'll do whatever we can. That's the gift of mercy. Again, this shows forth in, in various areas of hospitality, jail ministry, service to the handicapped, the suffering, the sorrowing in any way. You just you can't help it. You can't stand to see someone else suffering. I must act. So that's what it looks like. Now what are some of the pitfalls of the gift of mercy? Those with this gift might struggle with getting involved with physical or temporal needs while completely ignoring spiritual needs. Because they are so inclined to the the earthly, the physical, the temporal, the, the outward state that they forget oftentimes that there might be spiritual needs, spiritual problems. And Paul says that if you have this mercy to do it with cheerfulness, well then a pitfall would be to act out without cheerfulness, to, to serve begrudgingly, to help others without being cheerful about it. Um, another pitfall would be the, the temptation to carry out your gift separated from the gospel ministry of the local church, perhaps in, in parachurch organizations. See, this is the sad state of our, our present day is that the local church doesn't provide opportunities with, those for the, with the gift of mercy to serve. And so then they have this gift. They've got to use it. The only place they go is outside to the parachurch organizations. Then they get filled up with all of the people with the gift of mercy. They're far more than equipped to do the work and the church is not doing what they should be doing, you see. And so there is that temptation and that the church has to, has to provide those opportunities and allow those people to serve. Another temptation or a pitfall would be developing a hard-heartedness toward those who don't have the gift. In other words, you feel the way you feel, you act the way you act, and then you look at others and say, well, they don't care about anybody. They don't have any sympathy towards anybody. Why aren't they doing what I'm doing? Why aren't they serving the way I'm serving? They don't even care about anybody. All they care about is their doctrine and their preaching. They don't care about the least of these, my brothers. Well, they may not be gifted the way you're gifted. They should show some sympathy, some care, but not everyone is going to have that same spiritual, specific gifting of mercy. So that is the gift of mercy. Any questions about that? The gift of mercy, okay? Second gift would be the gift of exhortation. Exhortation. And this is one of the ones that was thrown out last week as probably a word gift. And I want to explain why it is close, but I don't think the actual gifting is with, res with respect to the Word of God. Romans 12, 8 says, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. So here's the gift, the word exhort. Now listen here, this is, this is for some of you, um, some of you Bible people, some of you word gift people. The word exhort is parakalon. Para means to come to the side. Kaleo means to call. Para Kaleo, does that sound familiar to anyone? What does it sound like? Paraclete. The, the, the Holy Spirit is called the helper, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside. 
So this word exhortation is literally to call to come alongside, to call to one's aid. Now, exhortation very often does happen in preaching. But the gift is not necessarily in the use of the text. It is the Spirit-empowered ability to come alongside another person. You see, it's, more, it's almost more relational than it is doctrinal. It's, it's to be able to walk with them through a particular circumstance. So, so in preaching, you, know, you can come along and bring the Word and say, if you're here, this is what the Word says. And that's a, that, that is an exhortation. But here the spiritual gift of exhortation is the, the relational ability, the heart and the mind, the compassion, the, the sympathy or empathy, maybe mixed with mercy, to come along with somebody and walk with them through a particular circumstance. And again, they usually will hopefully apply biblical truths to how they do it. But the gift differs. You see the difference between the use of a text and the use of self. Does that make sense? The, the particular gifting is in the way you come alongside a person. So to explain, again, all Christians are to exhort. Hebrews 3.13 But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that, here's the purpose of exhortation, none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The goal is that no one falls away. And so there are people, or we all as a body, come alongside each other and, and sort of corral one another in so that we all end up at the same place. But here those gifted have that particular gift of coming alongside. They are endowed with the love of Christ for individual saints that compels them to come alongside of them, put their arm around them, and help them work through an issue. Again, John MacArthur says this is advising, pleading, encouraging, warning, strengthening, comforting. All of that alongside of a brother or sister. The, the difference in preaching and exhortation would be, you know, someone saying, hey, walk, walk down the path, and when you get a hundred yards down the path, veer off to the right into the bushes. That would be exhortation through preaching. The gift of exhortation would be, come with me, let's walk down this path, and I will go with you. That's the difference. That's why I say the gift is not really a word gift, although the word is important in this gift. So to illustrate, we see this illustrated in Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 22, where we read, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So there, this apostolic band stops back in at these various churches and their goal is just strengthen their souls, encourage them and say, hey, it's going to be hard, hang in there. And then they go on. Strengthen their souls, encourage them, it's going to be tough, through many tribulations we're going to enter the kingdom of God, hang in there. They came to exhort them. Another illustration. Some of you have experienced this. Perhaps you have a problem, an issue, a question, a struggle. Something is happening in life. It could be anything. And another person in the church hears you and then they begin to give you advice from the Scriptures. 
And they begin to point out specific scriptural texts, specific steps that you can and should take. They encourage that you take these steps. They say, I will pray for you. And you say, yeah, okay, whatever. And then the next day they text you and say, hey, how's it going? Or maybe the next week they want to know, how's it, how's, how, how are things going? And you're encouraged. You're walked through that. You realize that there is another saint who actually cares about what's happening here. It's not just words on Sunday. Um, again, this gift would be um, someone just says, hey, I'm praying for you. How can I pray for you? I'm interested in what you're going through. And I want to let you know that I'm here. How can I pray for you? That'd be a, an illustration of this gift. Those with the gift of exhortation will usually speak into the lives of other people. Here's, here's this, this wisdom, this passage, this scripture, this, this encouragement. But their giftedness may not be in their knowledge or their teaching or their wisdom. They're probably not going to come out and with some nugget from Scripture that you just say, wow, that's the wisest thing I've ever heard. Their giftedness is the ability to walk alongside you, stand by your side, and be an encouragement and a help. Another example of this, an illustration, would be Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, where the Lord says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Christ has been crucified. He's led these men, these disciples, for three years He's been crucified. He's raised back from the dead. They're walking and they ask, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? They still don't have a clue what's going on. It's not for you to know times or seasons. Just go to Jerusalem and wait. And then he says, hey, I'll be with you. And he leaves. Now what, what greater encouragement could there be to these followers than Christ himself saying, I will be with you. I will be there. And of course, He sends the Holy Spirit who is the, the full embodiment of the Helper. He is the Helper, the Holy Spirit. Um, some of the pitfalls of the gift of exhortation, uh, non-scriptural exercise, um, adding worldly philosophies and things like that to try to help believers through issues, uh, carrying more burdens than you should carry. Uh, taking on more people, walking alongside more people than you should, getting in, in, involved in so many other people's lives that you forget about your own. Another one that is very difficult for those with this gift it would even be the gift of mercy as well, the inability to hand unrepentant sinners over to Satan. So if you have these gifts... It's really hard for you to imagine that there comes a point when some people have to be handed over. And, it's, and it hurts, and it's hard, and you wonder, we, we could have went longer, we could have tried harder, we could have made another phone call, we could have done more, we could have done more. And so it makes it very difficult. Uh, again, lack of gospel truth. Another one that we have to be very careful of with the gift of exhortation is men with women and women with men. We don't, need, we don't need men coming alongside women who are not married exhorting one another in, in, this, in specifics like this, in close intimate matters. And we don't need women coming alongside of men in that regard. Those things need to be as public as possible. Another pitfall of this gift would be stopping at first things, hey, I'm praying for you, and leaving it there because you don't want to pry into someone's life. You don't feel like... I don't want to get too involved. I don't, that's none of my business. 
And so you just you stop short of what you could do fulfilling your gift. If you've got the gift, use it. Ask, what's going on? How can I pray for you? Ask specifics. Get in there. Um, if, if you don't want people prying into your life, you don't need to be a part of a Christian church. Because that's what we do. We know each other. We, we live with each other. We, uh, especially as a pastor, I tell everybody when they join the church, I'm going to be in your business. I need to know what's going on. I want to know where you are and how things are happening. And so don't be afraid to, to pry. That's the gift of exhortation. Third is the gift that we often call the gift of giving. The gift of giving. Romans 12, 8, the one who contributes in generosity. The one who contributes. The word here, meta didomai. Meta meaning with. Didomai meaning to give. It is to give of yours to another. Now again, all Christians are commanded to give. But those gifted with the gift of giving or the gift of contributions have an especially enlarged heart for Christ and for His church that allows them or compels them to freely give themselves to God and the church and thus they excel in giving in every other area. And remember what we studied last week. It has to be in, the, in the, that process. So again, we'll illustrate these with passages of Scripture. One of them we, we looked at last week. 1 Thessalonians 2.8. Paul says, So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves because you had become very dear to us. They had given themselves to these churches. He said, we don't want to just preach the gospel. We just want to give you our lives, everything we can to you. Paul writing to the Philippians, I would love to go and be with Christ, but I know that there's work here for me to do, and so I must stay so that you would be strengthened. The 2 Corinthians 8, 3-5, through 5, you'll remember the church of Macedonia. They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They gave beyond their means. Remember, they were, they were in poverty to the death, to the bottom. And then, of course, the greatest illustration of this gift in Philippians 2, 4 through 8 here we see not only the motivation for ourselves to be like this, but where it comes from. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ gave everything. And then they say, you have this mind. It's yours in Christ because of your union with Christ. You have this mind. Therefore, you don't look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others and see to that. This gift does not require that someone is overly wealthy. A lot of people see someone with a lot of money and they say, well, they, they better have the gift of giving. 
Or we hope that the ones who are rich have the gift of giving. But that's not always the case. It doesn't mean that they have extra money. It means they are spiritually inclined to give whatever they have at any time for the sake of the body. They may not have a lot, but what they do have, they'll give it. The Macedonian Christians, in poverty, but they gave what they had and, and, and above and beyond what they had. So that's the gift of giving. Now, some of the pitfalls of this gift, we could probably imagine self-righteousness. Those inclined by the Spirit to be givers then begin to think that their giving is equal to salvation, equal to sanctification, somehow making them right before God. Those with this gift might be tempted with impatience with others or with church finances. They think that giving money is all that matters for ministry. Why can't we do this? I mean, I'm giving money. We've got the money. Why can't we do it? What's the problem? Well, what, what's the deal? We've got the money. We've got the money. Well, they don't understand there's more that goes into ministry than money. Those with this gift might be tempted to begin to try to push their personal agenda rather than the, the priority of the church and the agenda given from Scripture. Or, like we saw this morning, thinking more of their giving than it really is. They don't understand. Why, why are we struggling? I mean, I gave, I gave $10 two weeks ago. I don't understand what the problem is. They don't understand. You, you think you're giving more than you are, or you think everyone gives just like you do, and so you think there's more money than there actually is. Again, I, I mean, I gave $10 two weeks ago. If everybody gave $10 two weeks ago, that's, that's 90 bucks we got in the bank. What's the problem here? You see, just assuming you know all of the finances because you have the gift of, of giving, or you do give. Those could be some tendencies. Again, I would say as a, as a clarification, usually those with this gift pay very little attention to how the money is spent. They just want to give. They don't care. They're not, they're not trying to dictate things, but they, those can be temptations that we have to be uh, warned of. So that's the gift of giving. Uh, the fourth gift is the gift of administration or leadership. I put these two together, administration and leadership. Romans 12 Six um, is in that six through eight passage. The one who leads with zeal. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, we have the word administrating. Now, why did I put these two words together? Well, let me define both of the words and see if you can figure out why I think they're probably the same gifting. The word leads from, first, or from Romans 12, proistaminos, means, you see that word pro, to stand before, to be at the helm, to stand at the head of others in front of them. That's leads. And then the word administrating, kybernao, means to guide or to steer. It is pilotage. So you picture someone on a ship. And where are they standing? They're standing at the front of the ship with the, the what's this thing called? Steering wheel? I've got it in my hands. I can't remember what it's called. Both of these words carry the same idea of standing at the head of a group, at the control panel of a vessel, and guiding it forward. They both carry that same idea. That's why I'm, I'm putting them together. So to explain the gift, the gifted in these areas of leadership and administrating are those who act as guides for the local church. They guide the body. This is the spiritual 
ability, uh, spiritual knowledge, wisdom, understanding to step out in front of the church and make wise directional or navigational decisions about where the church is going or should be going. Now I wonder how many of you knew that that was a thing in the church, that there are people in the church whose duty it is to, to, to know where the church is now, where the church should be, and what it's going to take to get them there. That, that's a duty of, of people in the church. Now imagine that gift mixed with the gift of discernment. You're constantly watching and guarding and, and fighting off um, error, fighting off uh, rabbit trails and things that could get us bogged down in order to plow through and be guided and instructed. Now, I think it would be obvious this gift should be evident in some form in, in the elders of a church, although there will be some who are more gifted with leadership and administrating than they are um, prophecy, preaching, teaching, and things like that, and others will be gifted the other way. But this can also be a gift in the lay people of the church who are empowered to walk forward and lead into unknown territory. You don't have to have an office. Again, we, we have to get out of this mindset that I don't have an office, I don't have a robe, I don't have a collar, I can't do this. We can separate, distinguish the, the offices from those others who are gifted with particular gifts. So to illustrate, what does this look like in the church, the gift of administrating or leadership? This might be elders planning for ministry, planning, uh, preaching topics that are going to be most helpful to the body. Um, like, like I, would, I think it would be great to do a, uh, a series or at least a sermon on um, or explain perhaps a position on education and educating our children or, or something like that. Well, m most of the children are a ways away from that and so we can, we can wait into the future. It's not as pressing. <clears throat> Some would say, well, you got to get to it before they get old enough to do it. So that, that's... Another wise uh, consideration. Those in the church who look along the horizon and steer the church, they warn of upcoming danger. Again, they see the present state and they look forward. This is where we need to be. They can honestly gauge the church and say, this is an issue that needs to be addressed. Um, in Titus 1.5, Paul writes, This is why I left you in Crete that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. You see, Paul knew exactly what needed to be done on this island. And so he sends this letter to Titus. I left you there for this purpose. Here's your job, Titus. Appoint elders in every town and put what remained into order. That's the next step on this island of Crete. And he knew that. Another great example is found in Jude, verse 3. Jude writes, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude wanted to write and how fun it would have been to just write to them about their common salvation. The, the great salvation in Christ and just had this great, bubbly, overflowing, theological masterpiece of, of worship and praise. But he says, right now, I've just got to write to you to contend for the faith. That's this gift. He knew. Right now, you, you don't need that. Right now, you need to contend earnestly for the faith. And we see that 
happening throughout Scripture, and it happens in churches. I think a lot of times this happens, happens by the providence of God as, he, as you walk through books of the Bible. There will be times when you hear sermons and you say, that was not a fun sermon. And, and then in a few weeks later, you hear a sermon and you say, that was, that was good. I, I was encouraging. You go back and forth. God knows exactly what we need and when we, when we need it and how we need it, just like Jude knew what his audience needed to hear. Um, to go back to the illustration of a job site, this would be like a, a general contractor or a foreman. While other subcontractors are coming in and they do their job and they leave, those with the gift of leadership or administration, they have the ability to look at the final blueprint and stay there the whole time seeing it through from beginning to completion. And many of them will have multiple jobs that they're working on all the time, five or six or more construction sites that they know the blueprints for, and they're watching, and they know this, is, this needs to be happening for that job, and this needs to be happening here, and I've got to make sure these guys are here. So that's this gift, knowing the end goal and, and pushing the church, leading, or I said pushing, not pushing, leading, it's standing at the front. So some of the pitfalls of this gift, again, is not using the gift without an office. Seeing things, having wisdom, having discernment with things, looking at the church and saying, this is what we need, and saying, well, I'm not an elder, so I'll just keep my mouth shut. That's, that's not helpful. Nowhere in Scripture does it say only the elders can do this or that. Only the, only the preacher can do this or that. If you're gifted, use the gift. Uh, those with this gift might, be, might have a tendency toward an I told you so attitude. When something does happen that they saw, and they say, well, I told you so. I mean, I knew it was going to happen. They assume that all of the errors... The forthcoming problems are as obvious to everyone else as they are to them. And so they say, why can't anybody else see this? What's wrong with you people? Why can't you see this? Others might, be not, might not be as gifted in that area as you are. That's why you have to use the gift. If you just stay quiet and then say, well, I can't believe it. All these idiots didn't see that coming. You use the gift. It's, you're a body part, see. And another um, pitfall, the failure to use Scripture as the only sure guide for the church Alongside of that would be watching other churches and watching other ministries and using them as your directional path rather than Christ and His Word. A lot of people fall into that, and we've, we, we were there in, in early years. You just, well, how, how do you do church? Well, ride around and look at all the other churches you like and pick what you like and just do that. But that's not the way the, the church is to be guided. So that's the gift of administration or leadership. Fifth, is the gift of faith. The gift of faith. 1 Corinthians 12, 9, to another faith by the same Spirit. The word faith, pistis, or pistuo, is a strong confidence in and reliance upon someone or something. I think we should immediately say, well, we should all have faith. Well, this is not a reference. This gift is not a reference to saving faith, which all saints must have. And we also see in Hebrews 11, 1, the, con the constant reality of faith in daily life. The life that I now live, I live by faith. We live, it's also not that. All saints must have, must have that faith. Those gifted with the gift of faith will excel to such an extreme faith that it comes out and benefits the church. Now I want you to think, how can faith come out 
and benefit the church. Keep that in your mind. So to explain the gift. Those endowed with the spiritual gift of faith are so inwardly convinced of God's faithfulness to His word and promises that their surety bleeds out onto others. Those with this gift of faith excel beyond a normal expectation in casting themselves upon the promises of God. They, they, they believe so strongly, are so confident, so convicted in what God has said that when others begin to waver, begin to wander, they're running headlong and they say, we're not stopping, we, we, we're going. And everybody else just sort of follows them. They just run with this faith. Now, what's interesting about this gift, and I said, how does this gift come out? Well, John MacArthur says the gift of faith could also be called the gift of prayer. And I'll prove that in a minute. In other words, those with this gift excel in calling out to God according to His promises. That's how it benefits the body. If it's just in here, it's not going to benefit the body. It comes out in not only in public prayer, but in private prayer that God uses to strengthen the body. Just like Paul when he was... He would pray for all of the churches. Those with this gift tend to accomplish much in prayer. Those with this gift will be drawn to God in prayer over seemingly mundane things. Those with the gift of faith or prayer usually see an exceptional number of clearly, specifically answered prayers. This is the type of person that when they say they're praying for something, everybody else says, uh-oh, because you know it's going to happen. They, they, for some reason, their prayers are answered. This is the ability to trust God with unwavering resolve in the face of extreme circumstances. Now, why would MacArthur say that? And I do tend to agree with him here. To illustrate the point in James 5 and verse 15, there were those who were sick in the church. What did Paul, or I mean, what did James command those in the church to do in this time period? When someone was sick, he did not say lay hands on them. He did not say call the person with the gift of healing. He says the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And so the picture seems to be that apostolic gift of healing, you know, touch, you're healed, has been replaced with the gift of the prayer of faith that now works in bringing down God's power in healing. So, when someone says, well, I, well I'm not a cessationist because I've seen somebody healed from disease. We agree with that. We're, we're for that. We believe God heals. We believe God uses the prayers of His people to heal, bring miraculous healing. We, we don't we're not uh, in disagreement there. But that doesn't mean someone has the touch of healing. It's, it's a prayer. It's a gift of faith. This is probably evident in 1 Kings 17 with the widow of Zarephath where Elijah prayed and he was raised from the dead. He comes in and he can't believe it. God, how could you do this, God? And he just, that's it. We're praying and the boy is raised. To see another great example of the gift of faith, turn with me to Acts chapter 27. I think this is one of the better illustrations of this gift, the gift of faith. Acts 27. 
beginning in verse 22. We'll go 22 through 38. Now, I'll stop here and there. Well, let's start with verse 21. Remember, Paul is on a ship as a prisoner. It says, Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. So Paul stands on the promises of God in the face of great danger. And we continue reading. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, you get it's twenty, it's fifteen, they know they're getting closer. They let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. So it's nighttime, it's dark. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion, and the soldiers, unless these men stay on the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. In other words, he had such faith, he convinced them, cut off the lifeboat. They don't believe in his God. He says, we'll be saved. He's standing on God's promises. He convinces those who are with him, him to cut off the lifeboat. And then continue, as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense without food, having, having taken nothing. So they hadn't eaten for two weeks. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged. So they watched him eat, he broke it, he ate. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lighted the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. So they've, they've been at sea for two weeks. They're now in the dark. They've cut off their, their lifeboat. They can't see the land. And he says eat some food, and then they throw all the rest of it out into the ocean. That's the gift of faith. That is a, a, a man standing on the promises of God so firmly that everyone around them says, that's it, we're doing it. And they follow. Another example of this that has been in our conversations recently are uh, ministries like Heart Cry Missionary Society. They don't write letters. They don't ask for support. Imagine a missionary society that doesn't ask for money. They just do, and they pray because they believe God wants to send missionaries, and so we will do it. And so those with this gift are those who say it may look dim, but this is what God's Word says, and so that's what we're going to do, and that's what I believe. Some of the pitfalls of this gift, 
the tend, or may tend to get upset or impatient with those who lack faith. Uh, this gift would probably pair very well with the gift of mercy. They might look at others and charge them with dragging their feet or unbelief or how can you not trust God's Word or why are you so unsaved right now? Those with this, ga- this gift tend to despise any and all logical planning. They, they just say, well, it's just faith. It's just faith. You just, just got to step out in faith. Understand, underst- they're not understanding biblical faith. They think if you plan or, or prepare in any way, you're not walking by faith. They could be tempted to have a confidence that is separated from the Scriptures and so it will not be Spirit-filled. Filled. Again, they just believe because they believe. They, they think it's a, like a battle scar or a badge of honor to just believe ignorantly without any scriptural uh, warrant to have that sort of faith. Again, they may tend to have an arrogant, I told you so attitude, like why couldn't you see this? But they have the gift and, and other people struggle with unbelief. Now, that's the gift of faith. Now, raise your hand if you still haven't the slightest idea what your gift is. Not even a clue, not even... I. No, no hint. We got Ava Lee one. Okay, okay, good. I was hoping some people would raise their hand because we've come to the last gift, which usually if you get this far and you still have not a clue... You hear this gift and you say, oh, that's me. That's me right there. This is the gift of ministry or helps. Service. Romans 12, 7. If service in your serving, 1 Corinthians 12, 28 gives us the word helping. The word service is diakonia. What's that, what does that sound like, Kyle? which is the, where we get our word deacons. That's a smart guy right there. This, this dude's been studying the office of a deacon. It means to serve, to minister to the needs of a person. But then we bring alongside it this other word, helping, antilimpsis, or antilimpsis, which means to help, to aid, to succor. It has the, 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 the idea of relief. So this gift of service or helping is the giftedness to be of service to others in any situation. Now to explain, this is not the ability to do anything and everything in the church. It is not skill in every area of church work. This is not the jack of all trades. I can do everything, so what do you want me to do? This is the spirit-filled heart and mind of a person who desires to be of service in any way that is necessary that will relieve the burden off of somebody else. They look and they say, I want to take that burden. That, you shouldn't be handling that. Let me do it. So again, to illustrate, they would say, I just want to help in any way I can. Just tell me what to do. Uh, they assist others in their gifts in ministries and office. So if, if you have uh, a particular gift, a ministry, an office, something you're doing, this person will come alongside of you and they'll say, just tell me what to do. They're, they're a gopher. Go for this, go for that, and go for that. Just, just help, whatever you need. These people tend to desire to remain behind the scenes. They don't want anybody to know their name. They don't want a badge. They don't want an award. They don't want anybody. They don't want to say anything. They just want to serve. An example of this in Acts chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. 
Well, the apostles said, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom, and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the Word. You see, the point of that first diaconal office was not just to get work done. It was to relieve the apostles so that they could continue in prayer and the preaching of the Word. Another example in Philippians 2.25. Paul says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. You remember Epaphroditus got sick and almost died in this, in this service, just, just being a messenger to Paul from the church there in uh, Philippi. He, he, he was probably just hanging out in the church, and they said, would anybody like to carry to Paul whatever it could have been, a coat, could have been food, just a word about the church there, questions they had, and he probably said, I'll go, send me. He was a servant. Of course, the greatest example is Christ Himself in John 13, verses 3 through 5. We read, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He had come from God and, go, and was going back to God, rose from supper. Now, just think about this. Knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, knowing that He had come from God, knowing that He's going back to God, laid aside His outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around His waist. Then He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. And also in Luke 12 and verse 37, Blessed are those servants whom the Master finds awake when He comes. Truly I say to you, He will dress Himself for service and have them recline at table, and He will come and serve them. MacArthur says, This is every sort of practical help Christians can give one another because they're Christians. It is to aid the body. It's not just, you know, it, it, sometimes it could manifest its, its, itself in that good old boy attitude that just says, I'll, I'll, I'll just give you a shirt off my back. But, it, but it, it, is, it is primarily for the use of the body. It is helping because it is the body of Christ. Helping one another in day by day, often unnoticed ways. Those who have this gift serve, and it is not glamorous. Those who have this gift do not serve to seek better duties or to work their way up the ecclesiastical ladder. This is every imaginable service in the church and the heart attitude to do such work. And he says here, this is the most widely distributed gift because there are a lot of people who say, I don't know what I need to do here. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Now, some of the pitfalls of this gift. Bitterness. Bitterness towards those without the gift. Serving and thinking, well, I do everything around here. I do all the work. Nobody else wants to get their hands dirty. All these yuppies around here. Nobody's, everybody's afraid to, to, to roll up their sleeves and do any work. Or they're bitter because they get little or no recognition. Another pitfall would be thinking that the natural strength and vigor for manual tasks is enough or serving and helping and then getting upset because nobody noticed your work. In other words, I'm strong. 
I can carry a table, I can stack a chair. Well, that might not be the gift. You might not have the gift. Yeah, you might have the ability, the natural ability, but do you have the, the spiritual endowment of mind and heart to serve? It's not the natural ability to hammer, to sweep, to vacuum, to carry, to service, but the spiritual disposition of the heart that seeks to be of aid and to serve the body. All right, now raise your hand if you think you know what your gift is. I'm not going to ask you to say it. If you think you know what your gift is, close to understanding what your gift is, I see two hands raised is up away from your body. We've got one over here that's no, okay. We've got one there. We've got one sort of waving back there. We've got one hand there. Okay, okay. Good. Now, We'll talk about this in the weeks to come, but can you imagine what a church body looks like when those gifted with word gifts and those gifted with love gifts actively fan into flame their own gifts and use them in the power of the Holy Spirit? You see, this is not this magnificent, we've got a ministry for, for men, women, ministry boys, ministry for girls, left-handed ministry, right-handed ministry, singles ministry, dogs ministry, running ministry. It's not, it's not that. That is not... A, a biblical, a biblically functioning body. It is a body with regular people gifted by the Spirit to take this Word and speak it and to use their heart and their mind like the mind of Christ to serve and keep the body functioning properly. Let me ask you, and you guys can answer out loud here. What will a church look like? What will a church do? What will a church not do if those gifted with these love gifts exercise their gifts regularly? What will it look like? What won't be happening? What will be happening? We'll be growing spiritually and maybe numerical. Spiritual and maybe numerical growth from that. Yeah, I agree. What else? What's it look like? Can we get a picture in our head? Some might say vision. I'll say picture. Do we, have, do we have any inclination? It'll look like heaven, yeah, yeah. It'll look like heaven on earth. Anyone else? People wouldn't be in need of material or emotional or spiritual help. Yep. Yep. <laughs> he covered that with heaven. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a church, the people of the body will not have to be running constantly outside of the body to, to meet physical needs, emotional needs, psychological needs. A church like this will be able to counsel people with, with mental or psychological issues, with emotional problems. Um, people who struggle with things or, or down on their luck financially, whatever it might be. A, a, a church like this will be able to help and to serve. The church becomes the center of kingdom ministry on the earth rather than just the place where the Christians meet on Sunday, but then they actually have to go everywhere else to have their, their needs met, to have the, the Spirit's work, I guess we could say, or attempt to have the Spirit's work applied to them in daily life. Well, we'll talk about that next week a little more specific. I think it's on there, the... Um, what it looks like when this happens. I can't remember the title. Um, be encouraged. Use your gifts. 
We want people using their gifts. Like I read last week from Alistair Begg, when a church gets this concept and then begins to do it, really, this, this is the cusp. He says the knife edge of a great, great work of God because the people realize we are to do the work of ministry. So let's pray to that end and then we'll fellowship together. Father, your word is enough. It is sufficient for all matters concerning our salvation, concerning life and godliness. And so we thank you that we need not go anywhere else for our instructions with, with regard to the church. And Lord, we confess that Christ is enough for uh, salvation, for right standing before you. He is our only plea. He is our righteousness. It is for His glory that we exist and serve. And so, Lord, we ask that you would take the people in this church, knit us together like body parts in a human body, and then fill us with your Spirit that we would begin to, to pump and to flow and to walk and to run and to serve and reach and bend for your glory, so that your glory would be displayed on the earth through the preaching of your Word and through sacrificial love for one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.